Hello, everyone. My name is Jared Altick, and I'm a chaplain with the police department. The Hey Chaplain podcast is a place where members of the law enforcement community share their wisdom and experience through me, the chaplain, to encourage others who wear the badge. On Hey Chaplain, you'll hear from dispatchers and federal agents, sheriffs and U.S. Marshals, as well as local detectives and patrolmen in my hometown of Kansas City. From the LAPD to Scotland Yard, the guests on Hey Chaplain deliver advice and insights so that police officers everywhere can survive and thrive. I believe the reason that so many cops like history is because they love pursuing the truth. They want to get down to the story of what really happened, whether it was last week or a thousand years ago. And maybe yesteryear is a better place to dwell because it transports you away from the job that you're doing right now. It's a way to escape the current stress and drama by substituting them for stress and trauma from another time, which you can pick up and put back down again. Ancient wars, crime, and intrigue can't hurt you now, but it can become a great distraction. Gary Jenkins is a retired Kansas City, Missouri detective who investigated the mafia here in Kansas City. Many years later, he has become a mafia historian, producing documentary movies, podcasts, and other media exploring the history of organized crime. So I wanted to talk to Gary about the mafia right here in Kansas City, and boy does he deliver. In this, the first of two parts, he takes us from Ellis Island through World War II, discussing prohibition, the Pendergast machine, carpet joints, narcotics, gambling, and the mafia connection to politicians and other corruption. Here is Gary Jenkins. Welcome, Gary. I'm glad you're here today. Thanks, Jared. It's my honor to be here. Well, I am fascinated by the topic that you have become an expert in about the mafia and especially the connections here in my hometown of Kansas City. How far back does organized crime go in, in Kansas City? I mean, do we know? Do we know how far back pretty it goes, much. really? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Just like in any other part of the United States, uh, the, the eastern part of the United States, the east of here mainly, Turn of the century, when a lot of Southern Italians and Sicilians, you know, because of economic conditions, started flooding into the United States, into Ellis Island, mm-hmm. and then they, you know, trickled on to Chicago and St. Louis and came up through New Orleans and uh, ended up in Kansas City. We ended up with a large cohort of Italians or Sicilians, primarily Southern Italian Sicilians, over around the city market in what today is known as Columbus Park or Little Italy. And, you know, there were people, you know, when you're an ethnic minority, which they were at the time, they had a much different language. Uh, They weren't like Irish when they got here. They had a totally different language, and they were darker complected. And, of course, they grouped together, and they were really kept out of the mainstream Mm -hmm. by the Irish and English that had been here, and Germans who had been here quite a while. And people were much more ethnic back in the turn of the century and thought about that, uh, what what country they came from than we do today. and so they were squeezed out, and, and, you know, they started little shops and restaurants and, and got kind of menial jobs and whatever they could get to survive. It was always it was better than it had been in Sicily. Right, I'll, I'll say right. that. Well, when they came here, they brought the mafia with them, basically, because the mafia had been going on for several hundred years in Sicily. They had you know, kind of been formed to help protect the, the southern Italian and uh, Sicilian people from the northerners. Right. Which was much more uh, uh, 
organized, shall we say, as governmental wise, and sure. and and sure. had more money, had uh, you know better land, had crops, and and, and uh, they were the underdogs. And these guys yeah. were the underdogs, right. and so the uh, the northern Italians and Rome and on north, they had really had dominated those Sicilians in in not a, a very nice way many times. So the mafia kind of formed as these little organizations to help protect people, and they kind of became shadow governments over there, mm. and so they brought that with them right and right. that's when it started the turn of the century just the same as it did in new york or chicago cleveland all, all the rest of the eastern cities ours was probably a little bit behind because it takes a little while longer to get to kansas right. city right all of them landed in ellis island basically right some right. of them in new orleans and and came up north i don't really remember anybody in particular everybody i do any real research on or look back on it's usually new york and then chicago and down here or maybe new york and cleveland down here okay can you kind of walk me through the evolution of the mafia in kansas city i mean so we started in the early 1900s right and they're doing moving from petty crime into more organized you know types of crime but but like pre prohibition what was organized crime like Correct. If, if any of you guys out there have seen The Godfather, okay. <laughs> the origin story of the mafia from the old mustache Pete's, well, that's what we have. That's what we, I'm talking about, Black Hand. They right. preyed on local shopkeepers, uh, their, their fellow countrymen from uh, 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 the old country right. at first because the local police weren't going to do anything about that. So it was like protection money. Right. That kind more of like thing. protection money. And so right. they preyed on them. They kind of, you know, they went out and they, they preyed on. Uh, other people that were more established in Kansas City, but they preyed on their own quite a little bit because that was a safer thing to do. Okay, and, and there's a good example of that is we had a young policeman. There was, I think, maybe at the time there was only one or two Italian policemen, and they, of course, had to police down around in the Italian neighborhood, just like when they started getting black policemen. They only policed in the black neighborhood. So hmm. Joe Ramo was an early Italian policeman in 1912, and he overheard something one night. He was off-duty, playing cards. He overheard something, at least they thought he did, about a murder that of a shopkeeper, somebody okay. that wasn't paying the, uh, uh, the, the protection, the protection money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so about two days later, he's walking back home. He lives, this is over in the city market, and he lives about four or five blocks east of the city market. He's walking back home, and somebody jumps out from behind a uh, an alley and shoots him and kills him with a shotgun. Hmm. So that's, you know, that's kind of, that's what was going on then. But now we come into Prohibition. Yeah. Prohibition, just like in every other city in the United States, it changed everything. Yeah, it really developed the American mafia organized crime organizations. They go from being a... Uh, you know, two-bit little gangs that were preying on each other primarily to organized. And, mm. and Lucky Luciano and forms the National Crime Syndicate, brings Jewish gangsters into it. And uh, and, and the same thing, Al Capone in Chicago and in Kansas City, we had— uh, God, I, I really struggle with these names in Kansas City, and, and none of them really came on to modern times, which is why I, I struggle right, with them right, so much. So right. we had the same kind of guys. We just didn't have—we had, by the middle 30s, we had the Sugar Shack Gang, or, or what they called the Five Iron Men, and uh, Joe Giovanni. Uh, there was uh, 
A couple of them lasted clear up into the 70s, really. Um, uh, the guy that started Roma Bread, and if you guys are locally in Kansas City, have eaten Roma Bread out of yeah. the grocery stores, yeah. uh, uh, Joe Filardo. He was one of the original Sugar Shack gang, and they called him the Sugar Shack gang because you need all this sugar in order to make alcohol. Oh, okay. <laughs> and in uh, some places, other cities, they called him the Sugar Syndicate. Right. They'd like corner the market on sugar because they wanted to buy all the sugar. <laughs> And, and so Joe Filardo and, and Tano Lacoco, who, if you're old enough in Kansas City, you'll remember Gaetano's Restaurant over in the, the North End, what we call okay. And uh, so those are two of them that lasted clear up into the 70s. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. And there was uh, two or three other older guys like that. And so they formed the modern crime syndicate. They're the ones that, that then worked with other syndicates and other cities. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, because of... It just lends itself to organization. Yeah, yeah. You got Capone beer coming down from Chicago, and, and you want to reach out. You got to transport, transport alcohol somewhere out into the suburbs or the suburbs out in the counties. And, right. And maybe you clear to Jefferson City or down to Springfield. And, and so it's an interstate uh, deal yeah. after that, yeah. and people need to connect with each other. You know, the famous meetings they had and, and just uh, – Kansas City wasn't there. We were always been represented by Chicago. The oh. Chicago outfit has always kind of been our voice with the national okay. crime syndicate. Okay. And so there's an early meeting. Al Capone went to it in the 20s about prohibition and setting everything up into territories. Who had what territories? And, you know, out of New York, people came. Cleveland, all the major families came. And, mm-hmm. and so Kansas City then fell under Chicago at that time, although we do have our own family with a boss right. and, a, right. and a hierarchy that's just Kansas City. Right. We just, in Kansas City, we're kind of like the little brother to Chicago, shall oh, we say. Okay. We, okay. We, we act on our own, but if it looks like it might get anywhere close to Chicago and their domain, then they're going to run it by Chicago right. first. Right, right, right. Submissive to them. Right. And so, and so, well, I've heard that in Kansas City, Missouri, during Prohibition, that there was never... An arrest for an alcohol-related <laughs> offense. Is that true? Probably probably wasn't. I, I don't really know. I, I right. didn't really research it. I've heard that, too. I doubt if there was. Okay. So why? What, how? Um, and I, I think I know the answer, but but how were they able during Prohibition to get away with all of this I, in, I would, in a I city would, like Kansas City? I would say that the uh, the feds, uh, what they as, as they were at the time, they just didn't put much energy into Kansas City. Hmm. And the local police were not going to do anything. They were part of it in, in the 30s in Kansas City, the 20s and 30s. They were part of the whole deal. That's 30s prohibition was over. Right. But the 20s, the Kansas City police were part of it. I mean, that was, you know, everybody wanted to drink. And that's part of the Pendergast machine? Correct. Pendergast had started. Mm-hmm. And and he controlled the police department. He controlled all the, you know, different organs of city government. And he, was, he wasn't even like the mayor or anything. He was, no, he, he was... was what was it? He was like a Democratic Party, like local chairman or something like a, that, right? A functionary of some <laughs> yeah, kind. Yeah. He never ran but for he office. controlled. He ran the city, right? He controlled, yes. Yeah. He controlled the city, and, and he decided who was going to get to run for office and who wasn't. And, yeah. And you yeah. had to go to Pendergast. He was, he was really the only welfare system we had at the time. There's stories mm. during the Depression, people lining up at his office down there on 15th and, and uh, 16th and Maine, uh, or Grand, I, 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 get him, I think it's Grand, 
the building's still there, actually, and and people lining up, and and maybe they'd get a job, maybe they would just get some coal, right? Or he'd tell them some place to go where to get some food, and and so he was kind of the only welfare wow. social wow. safety net that we had at the time because there wasn't you know the normal welfare things, just like Al Capone would finance a food a soup kitchen, and right, and so you know, and, and it was to. Pendergast advantage, and, and he ended up forms a liaison with the mafia. Hmm. Okay. Because the mafia has the first ward. Okay. Over in Little Italy, over to the city market. That was the first ward. The second ward was pretty much all black, but it was controlled by white men at the time. Right. And, and the first ward, then they had an Irishman who was sent down there by Pendergast. Right, because Pendergast was Irish. Pendergast right. was yeah. Irish, and, and he had an Irishman, uh, Mike, uh, oh, God, it was a good Irish name, too. <laughs> uh, I can't, all of a sudden, I've lost it. We'll just say Flanagan. Flanagan, right, right. Yeah, Mike Flanagan, <laughs> nobody else will know, will you? <laughs> You'll get all kinds of calls on that. No, right. that was oh, yeah. my, that was my uncle. That was That's my wrong. great uncle. <laughs> this is Kansas City, remember? Small town. You're doing, I, I'm impressed. You're doing all of this with no notes, and so I'm, I'm impressed but yeah yeah so he sent down an irish guy down to the first ward you said he was like the the kind of the 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 head of the first first ward you know okay. kind okay. of uh, you know nobody ran for office but he was uh, the strong man in the first ward and they had precinct captains that you know basically were appointed and people may have voted on committeemen or whatever back then but uh-huh. you know you know these was pitter gas people well as the italians Move more into the uh, uh, established culture. Mm-hmm. And they get more money, and they've got money out of the prohibition. They've got right. a lot of money out of that. More part of society. More a part of society. Then Johnny Lazia has moved up through the ranks during this time. He was just a young Italian kid that was smart. Mm-hmm. He was good looking, and he was smarter than the average guy. Mm-hmm. And, and he was real charismatic, and everybody liked him. And so he's moving up, and and he starts getting involved in this political element. Of course, he's he's in the mob too, and uh, he does his time for some robberies and stuff when he's younger, and and he he gets the Italians together, and then they start going to these meetings, these political meetings, and mm-hmm. they kick the Irishmen out, and mm-hmm. they take over. So this is for our people. Okay. Okay. And so then he they take over control of the first ward. So now Pendergast has a candidate. And they've got that they need the votes out of the first ward for. Then all he has to do is get on the phone and call Lazia and say, "Hey, you know, this guy. Right. right. We like this guy. We don't like that guy. Right. So then they turn around. They only have to call about four or five people and say, "Hey, we like this guy. We don't like that guy." And that's that's how it works. Yeah, and and then they and then Lazia even I have a an old picture of Johnny Lazia talking to the Negro Women's Voters League. Okay, in the thirties, the okay. early thirties, and so he's forms a coalition with black voters. Ah, so he okay. said, you know, we need to stick together down here because geographically they're right next to each other. Right. Uh, they had some of the same problems with fitting into the larger society. Okay. Blacks uh, had more than, than Italians did, but they had a lot of the same problems not being accepted in and right. uh, and lack of business opportunities and those kinds of things, government contract, government jobs. And and see, the government job's a big deal, too, during this time. So Liza can get you a government job. If you're a good guy down there in the North End, 
want his want somebody to go to him, then he get you may get you or your grandson or your son or your husband or whatever a government job. Right. right. And and so it's you know it's a powerful position during this time. Help grease things. The city inspector's coming around. You need a license or something. Get hold of John Lazio. He just picks up the phone and you got it just like that. Mm-hmm. So there's a you know that's. You know, that's how you move into the larger society. Right, right. When you like it or not, that's how it works. Right, right. <laughs> and so, you know, they get more and more organized and, and just, and Pendergast, he, he's not really a criminal particularly. He liked to gamble. Right. Lost a lot of money up at the racetrack. He loved to gamble, but he just, he liked having this open city because mm-hmm. with an open city, there's, there's like, there's jobs, there's, uh, you know the the kind of the uh, the silk stocking district out here. He can keep them pushed off because he, uh, you know, he, he just can. He knows how to deal with the working class and, right. and with an open city. Then the working class they like to drink and they like to gamble. Right. And, and so, so he's and, not going to let the police interfere with that. Right. So. Well, he's going to appoint the police. <laughs> right. and he doesn't want to mess that up. Right. Right. 12th Street was rocking and rolling down there, all kinds of, of booze and, and music and everything. And so it was it was an open city, and Pendergast liked that. And also, I think that was just his mentality. Right, I just think right. he, he probably liked to party himself. Fascinating. So so Prohibition ends, and as I understand it, mafia all around the country had to decide, okay, we're not going to make our money through alcohol anymore. Where are we going to go next? Is right. it going to be gambling or, or narcotics or, or whatever? And and I think they all kind of made their own individual decisions geographically. How did Kansas City shake out after Prohibition? Well, Kansas City, there was always some narcotics going on. Okay. We had a direct connection to a source of heroin down in, uh, that was coming out of Middle East to Cuba to uh, Tampa, and Traficante was Santos Traficante was a boss down there, and he was facilitating it down there. And they would have, you know, the the ruling family here would have known. Okay, through those those mafia connections, you go down to Traficante and you get a connection, and they were bringing heroin up here. But that was not the the probably the bigger money maker then was probably the the race wire, the gambling on horses, and okay. Okay. and the carpet joints out just outside the city during that time up in Platte County. There was two or three of them. Explain what you mean by carpet joint. Uh, yeah, just south of Seventy Fifth Street, where the uh, south of city limits, there was one a big one that was real well known. Carpet joint is like a country club out in the county. See, in the county, there's not as much law enforcement. Right. And you can you can deal. You only have to deal with the sheriff. Right. And the sheriff has to run to get elected, so he needs money every four years. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, as long as you kept the gambling within the club, right, and and didn't have any kind of periphery crime around that, everything else was copacetic. Everything else was cool. Probably a lot of sheriffs that looked the other way. Right, they yeah. looked the other. They didn't care. They, you yeah. know, they got a little money. They got you know helped them get reelected, and plus a little personal money, I'm sure, out of it. And and so they had these carpet joints around. The mob would get a piece of that game. They mm-hmm. would set up the games, and mob guys would run that game. And they've always there's always been kind of theft from the docks and the trucks and trains right. and things like that. And they always right. have places that they can fence that property, uh, jewelry stores. They always have places that they can get rid of that. And other cities be part of the bigger thefts that you ever read about. More than likely, the mob will be part of that because if you've got to get rid of a large 
you know, like a truckload of stuff, a trainload of stuff, or or a lot of really expensive jewelry. That you, takes some organization. It takes organization. Yeah. So you've got connections in other cities. You can ship it off to another city mm. where it's not going to be so hot. Right. And so, you know, it's just a, a variety of all those things. And and horse racing and gambling was the big deal back then. And they were part of the internet or the national wire service where you could get the race results in. And, right. And, and other gambling, but boxing was a big one for gambling. But you just want to have bookies around. And okay. So they just had this a variety of different things. Now, isn't it true that organized crime got unwanted attention from politics during this time? Like early 1950s? 50 or 51, when they had the murder of the two Charlies, which really rattled the whole United States. Okay. You talk about the intersection of politics and mafia in Kansas City. Okay. So this, this story here, and I just, my last movie called Ballot Theft, uh, my ballot theft, anyhow, it's on Amazon. <laughs> no, wait, that was not on Amazon. I'll take that back. Um but but I've got it. I read it on my website for a dollar ninety nine. Ballot theft. Anyhow, they uh, there's a um, a sitting congressman, the fifth district congressman who Cleaver is today. Okay, guy named Roger Slaughter, and Harry Truman's a president. Mm-hmm. He wants to uh, he Harry want, Truman from Kansas City. from Kansas City. Yeah, he. he has just taken over, of course, you know, after, during the war when Roosevelt died. Well, during the war, war, Roosevelt had started the Fair Employment Committee. He wanted to uh, to help black folks particularly get and keep jobs because we really needed the help for the war production. So Harry Truman now, the, the NAACP and the, and the black pressure groups on the Democratic Party, they want Harry Truman to make this into a permanent agency, the Fair Employment Agency, which finally will become, uh, I can't remember the name of Fair Employment something uh, agency And uh, 20 years later. But anyhow, Harry Truman's wanting to make this into a permanent agency. And the Dixiecrats, or these are Democrats who are in the South that, right. that are no, they don't want, Harry Truman's already integrated the military. And right. That's bad enough. And right. the Dixiecrats are pro-segregation. And they're pro-segregation. Right. And so Roger Slaughter sides with the Dixiecrats, and, and he holds up this bill to make this into a permanent agency, the, the Fair Employment Committee, into an agency, and just won't go back and, and hold any hearings so it dies in committee. Hmm. Harry Truman's mad. He writes a letter. We got the letter, and uh, I've got a copy of it. It's actually in the movie, to Jim Pendergast. Tom Pendergast has died by this point in time. Jim, his nephew, takes over. He writes a letter back to Jim Pendergast saying, you know, we got to do something about this meddlesome congressman, Roger Slaughter. And so he gets hold of a guy named Charlie Menaggio, who is now the main mob guy that runs the first ward and the second ward by now. Okay. And and he's got a lot of influence in second ward, so they they send out to all their people. They float another congressman for the fifth district, and I've I've lost his name now. But they float another congressman out there to, to primary okay, Roger slaughter, slaughter, primary slaughter, and down in the north end there, uh, it's kind of black and white. There's an elderly black woman, uh, Estella Carter, goes to vote. And there's a mob guy, and and this we get all the ethnicities in here in the game, <laughs> named Morris Snag Klein, who is a Jewish 
mobster who helps run the gambling for for the Italian okay. La Cosa Nostra Bob. He's he's big in that. He really runs it for him. He's the Mayor Lansky of Kansas City, really. Okay. Uh, Snag Klein. Well, he is he's a precinct captain for down there this one particular ward where Ms. Carter's gonna vote. She goes up to vote and and he says, No, Ms. Carter, don't worry about that. You know, we took care of that for you. He said, oh, no. Oh, no, Mr. Klein, I'm going to vote. He said, no, don't worry about that. And some other guy's standing there, and he steps up. And she, he says, yeah, we, we took care of that. We're all Democrats here. Don't worry about it. We're, you know, we took care of that for you. And Snag Klein says, here's a couple of bucks. Go buy some beer. You know, go on. You know, it's the end yeah. of the day, and, you know, you've had a hard day, I'm sure. Go on and drink some beer. And, and as her granddaughter said, if you knew my grandmother, <laughs> she did not want to drink any beer. <laughs> and so she walks away, and, and then they have a big investigation about stolen votes during this primary in sure. Kansas City. And, and the bad thing for the Democrats is the Republicans swept everything but the presidency that year. Mm. <laughs> they yeah. got, yeah. There's, a, there's a Republican uh, uh, senator from Missouri, there's a Republican Jackson County prosecutor from Missouri, and there's a Republican 5th District congressman from Missouri. So <laughs> the investigations are on. <laughs> right, yeah. And, you know, they focus right in. They find out about this story, and that was one of the primo, the the headline investigations they did where this mob guy did not let her vote. Yeah. And he actually got, she she testified, and he got convicted, got two oh, or wow. three years. Yeah, I know. It was hard to believe, wasn't yeah. it? We still can't figure out why they didn't take her out in some way and, and protect Klein, but, you know. Huh. So that was, you know, that's how they were involved in politics with the Pendergast organization. Yeah, yeah. And and then Charlie Benaggio and his uh, running partner, Charlie Gargata, uh, go to meet somebody because Gar- Benaggio has promised he'll deliver the state of Missouri and the city of Kansas City for the gambling interest, and uh, like Frank Costello. And they want to put uh, slot machines throughout the whole state, and they want to open up Kansas City for gambling like it was back in the 30s. Right. So he says he if he they give him enough money, Benaggio, they give me enough money, then I'll get this particular uh, guy's name was Smith, elected as governor, and he'll appoint people to the police boards and the highway patrol boards that will not enforce gambling laws. Mm-hmm. And that guy gets elected. His candidate gets elected, but he he backs off. And really? He, and he won't do it. And Benaggio and Gargata, who's kind of his running buddy, who's more of a real mob guy. Benaggio was kind of a mob guy who was more politician than mob guy. Right. I read old newspaper articles where he could just walk into the governor's office anytime. Oh, wow. Reporter was down there and said, yeah, I saw Benaggio just walk in and just stroll in and talk to the governor. Well, they end up dead at the uh, First Ward Democratic Club over on Truman Road Mm. (laughs) in a big shootout or shooting and big headlines, and, and the Kefauver Commission then is formed about that time. Who Kefauver was a Republican. He hated uh, uh, Truman, and he wanted to embarrass Truman. Right. And so, you know, they really focused a lot on Kansas City with the Kefauver Commission. And when they came to Kansas City, they, they might not even come to Kansas City except for that the murder of the two Charlies. So right. We right. have this, fa- you know, this really well-known, nicely known, mob history in Kansas City. And it's yeah. got all the things that every other city has. It's just on a smaller scale. Right. Yeah. Well, and we did, you know, we had some things like President Truman 
where, I mean, people were teasing him when he became a senator that he wasn't the senator from Missouri. He was the senator from Pendergast. Pendergast, yeah. 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 <laughs> and so corruption in Kansas City got a little more of a spotlight oh, on yeah. it there. Oh, yeah. It even went on. We won't go, need to go into it. It even went on after that in, in Chicago. Some Chicago mobsters got an early out from a penitentiary sentence, sentence mm. and, and Harry Truman's uh, – uh, Attorney General, a guy named Tom Clark, he was the one that really, you know, put his okay on that. So right, there's right. <laughs> politics and the mob, you know. It, yeah. it used to be. It's what's interesting, Jared, is back in those days. See, today it's like anything like that is just totally verboten. You know, no politician would have anything to do with anybody and right. that kind of a, a mafia or organized crime thing. But back then it was more... They were more part of society. Okay. The mafia and their illegal things that they did, everybody likes to gamble, everybody likes to drink. Uh, prostitution, people like those vices. And and so it was more part and parcel of the entire society, including politics. But that's, you know, that well, all into narcotics. Right, right. Not like the cartels from right, South and Central right. America. I mean, yeah. Totally different. So, so recently there was a TV show, Fargo, oh, yeah. uh, and it would make reference to Kansas City from time to time. And one season actually purported to tell a history of what happened in Kansas <laughs> yeah, City. Uh, what was your impression of that? I, can you imagine? Uh, I, uh, we did have, you know, say in the 30s, uh, we had a guy, uh, uh, Felix Payton, I think was his name, who ran a uh, black guy who, and, and you had all the clubs, uh, jazz clubs and everything in the black area primarily, and some Italian owners and a lot of black owners and a lot of black owned businesses down on 18th and Vine area. And, and he had a, a, a policy racket and he was kind of a behind the scenes political kingmaker he but he he ran the policy and he, there's some old articles about where somebody bombed his house and some guys beat him up one time and so he would be if there was anybody that would be the uh, uh chris rock character right from fargo right. it would be him right so there's sort of some connection but but the the the, the the story, as I remember it from watching the show, it was like the, the Irish mob betrayed the Jewish mob, the <laughs> Italian mob betrayed the Irish mob, and and then the show happens in the context of the black mafia and the Irish mafia fighting. Right. And I I mean, I knew none of the names were right, right? <laughs> and, but do you think that has any, you know, these trading like hostages? That <laughs> no. almost sounds like Roman Empire to me more than American mafia. Does that have any connection anywhere? Can you imagine in 1930s that uh, a bunch of white guys would trade one of their white kids to a black group for one of their black kids yeah, that, on either side? <laughs> like I said, that sounded far more like like Roman Empire history than, than American. Really? I mean, no, no, none of that had any relevant, you know, any relation to real life things right. other than. There was a guy that had the policy racket back then. Now, a lot of the more modern writers, when they looked at this, they went to, they ran, black, here's what they did, Jared. They ran Black Mafia in the Google. 
And then they found that they had these, in the 70s, we had this little drug gang ran by a guy named Doc Dearburn and Eugene Richardson. Okay. And and they were pretty colorful, and there was a lot of headlines about them. And, and they had a, a guy willing to talk to the newspapers that was in the penitentiary named Eddie Cox, who was a white guy. And and he was part of this, and they were a big, they actually called them the Blue Capsule Gang, or a big heroin gang in Kansas City. So when they'd write these articles up, they would say, oh, yeah, Doc Dearborn, you know, he's like the Chris Rock character. <laughs> uh, okay. But, yeah. yeah. Kind of very loosely playing with stories from different eras. From different eras, yeah. yeah. They yeah. did have, you know, this uh, guy that had the, uh, black guy that had the policy racket in Kansas City during right. that those era. Okay. era. Okay. And, and he was connected politically to Pendergast and to Irish Politicians, but right. we never really even had an Irish mob. I never even heard of an Irish mob. The or Irish Jewish mob. Or, well, in, we had Jewish guys who were the the affiliates with the associates with the okay. Italian okay. mob. But uh, as far as a big organization, we had the Italian yeah. La Cosa yeah. Nostra. It, is there a movie that accurately represents Kansas City oh. mafia? No, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. Not, I've only seen glimpses. Knowledge. I'm a big movie buff, too. Yeah. And, and, the movie, can, Robert Altman's Kansas City, maybe a little bit. Yeah, okay. But, uh, but boy, I, I am... I, 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 I'm not an expert in this field, but but I can't think of anything where I'm like, oh, yes, I bet that's an accurate representation, yeah. uh, other than your documentaries, right? Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Gary is a walking encyclopedia of mafia information. And it's great because he met so many of the investigators, the authors, and some of the criminals themselves. So he can paint a picture of how the mob worked like no one else I've ever met. Getting to interview him was like stepping into one of his documentaries or into his podcast, Gangland Wire. In part two, you don't want to miss Gary zeroing in on the Kansas City Mafia family, the Savella family. He explains the rise and fall of the Savellas and how both the Mafia and law enforcement evolved in the decades after World War II. We'll talk about unions, casinos, and wiretaps, and Gary will tell us a little bit about his own career. You especially don't want to miss Gary's advice about what to do after you retire from law enforcement. On the next episode of Hey Chaplin, Gary Jenkins continues the story of the Kansas City Mafia. I was walking through the plaza one day. I used to live down by there, and I was walking down the plaza, and and some young policeman happened to see me, and he hollered. He said, hey, Sarge, he said, "Uh, uh, I just read your name in a book. I said, what do you mean my name in a book? Yeah, he said, uh, uh, it's called Casino. Uh, So, you know, they've got them over there at Barnes & Noble. So I went to Barnes & Noble and looked in the in the back and there's yeah. my name so I yeah. flipped over and whenever we serve search warrants on all the mob bosses in Kansas City after the skim investigation right they sent one of the intelligence guys with each crew of FBI agents that was going to search the houses and then had us wear uniforms so we're, see, we're still in the middle there's still a mob war going on right and so you don't want people to get mistaken about what's going on especially on it that night and so since that's, we just put on uniforms, checked out a Mark Carr, and then went up and banged on the door. That night, uh, I was in Tuffy DeLuna's house. Carl Tuffy DeLuna was the underboss. And I was in his house, 
And, and uh, 10 years later, a local newspaper reporter named Bill Norton wrote uh, 10 years since we served these search warrants on St. Valentine's Day. Okay. So it was like the St. Valentine's Day, Day massacre. massacre. Right. They served in Chicago, Milwaukee, Cleveland, and uh, uh, Las Vegas that same Valentine's Day. So it was like a, a Valentine for Tuffy or something like that. So he right. interviewed me and Bill Owsley and a, another detective that came over there later, Harold Nichols, uh, about you know what, you know what was that night like, and you know I gave him some quotes for his article. Right. So Pledging, when he writes his book in that section or that page or two about serving the search warrant on Tuffy Luna's house, it, he just basically took the quotes. He wrote it, rewrote it in his own words, but took the quotes directly right. from Norton's article and put them in there. Right. And that's why he, <laughs> he had me in there. That's how you got name dropped. Yeah. <laughs> really. I want to say thank you to those who make suggestions for this podcast. And in this case, I was at a roll call late at night, and a police officer mentioned that he listened to a particular podcast, The Gangland Wire. He said he'd been listening to every episode and suggested that it would be a great idea for my podcast. Thank you, Officer Denny. It was a great suggestion, and I very much appreciate it. The views expressed here are the personal views of the hosts and our guests and do not necessarily represent the views of any law enforcement agency or its components. If you liked what you heard here, please share this episode with a cop or someone who loves a cop. Thank you for listening today, and as always, pray for peace in our city.